Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this uh, new book, the book of Hebrews, Father, as we begin to unpack and sift through what you have to say to us through these words over these next many weeks, Father, may you give us humble hearts, you give us clear minds, may you give us uh, excited uh, and an anticipation um, for the power of your word in your people. Um, Father, I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Every day seems more and more like an earthquake, externally and internally. Externally, so coming from around us or seemingly the ground around us seems shaky. We're faced with relativistic ideas, subjectivity, where the pagan around us says that there is no such thing as absolute truth, and where the quote-unquote progressive Christians say, I can write truth with my feelings and my lived experience. Really, the, the new truth today is your truth. And I don't mean necessarily your written down confession of faith, whatever that might be. But really, your truth can be whatever you feel is true today. And if it's true today for you and you feel it so, then it's true for you. And regardless of of how we think about tolerance in our day, the reality is, is we expect also everyone else to live by what we believe to be true today. The ground is shaky. This has crept into the church. I feel like you're a meanie, therefore, you're a meanie. The ground is shaky externally, internally. The ground is Shaky. I don't know about your ground. My ground, oftentimes, internally, is shaky. Emotions, crazy. Our bodies, oftentimes, feeling different and in adverse ways all the time. The difference in the way we feel, oftentimes, at breakfast and the way we feel at lunch is substantially different. The ground is shaky, but not only that, but thoughts that we think we know, we often consider them simply ideas amidst the constant flux of uncertain knowledge and belief. For example, we hold on to a thought like God is sovereign and God is good about as tightly as we hold on to the hope that a McDonald's drive through will actually be fast. Or 
or that they might, their flurry machine might actually work. Their McFlurry machine might actually work. There you go. <clears throat> Instead, these thoughts that we think we hold on to fluctuate in our minds like the truth does in our culture. Always evading us, always slipping from our hands, always changing, always shifting. Sure one second, morphed and changed the next. The price of such a flaky life, or a movable life, is this. The loss of truth, and with the loss of truth comes the loss of hope. And with the loss of hope comes the loss of endurance. Let me say that again. With the loss of truth comes the loss of hope. And with the loss of hope comes the loss of endurance. This is one of the greatest schemes. This, this is not in my notes. But this is free for the moment. One of the greatest schemes of Satan was to convince Adam and Eve, which wasn't hard, by the way, that they could figure the truth out on their own. And when you can get someone to believe they can figure out the truth on their own, then you can begin to insert and influence them towards whatever quote-unquote truth you want them to believe. And when you can do that, you can control them. We, uh, the relativisticness, the, the, the non-absolute truth, the subjectivity as ruling in our day is very much a means to control God's people. The price of a flaky life is the loss of truth comes the loss of hope, and with the loss of hope comes the loss of endurance. I think there's three main points for Hebrews, and it's going to be my three main points for today. So I'm going to give you those three main points that I think is kind of the three main themes of Hebrews, and those will be expounded over the next year. We'll, f- we'll work through each of those themes, not necessarily in this particular order, but these three themes will be touched on. Today, I'm going to hit those three themes. I'm going to drive in specifically a little tighter on verses 1 and 2, but I'm going to reach beyond 1 and 2 into the rest of the book of Hebrews. Those three themes is this. A, a faith that's immovable. A faith that is immovable. If you, if you prefer unmovable, uh, you can write that if you want. Immovable. Two, a Lord that's superior. Or B, I should say. A Lord that is superior. And C, a kingdom that's unshakable. A faith that's immovable, a Lord that's superior, and a kingdom that is unshakable. I think those are the three primary themes. There's lots of sub-themes all over the place in Hebrews. I think these are the three primary themes in the book of Hebrews, and they'll be my three points today. First of all, a faith that is immovable or unmovable, a faith that, that does not shift, it's not flaky, a, 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 a faith that doesn't change between breakfast and lunch. Hebrews 2, let me read you a series of verses here. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. 
Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 5.11, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. There are many more verses in the book of Hebrews that speak of, uh, of not losing faith, of having a faith that is immovable. Now, it's about this moment that many of the churches around here would cue the TED Talk on faith. When we think of immovable faith, I can hear the TED Talk pastor in town now saying something like, come learn five steps to experiencing God in blissful faith. Every church, every hip church does a yearly series basically called something about faith. Now, by unmovable faith, usually what we mean in our culture today, in the church culture rather, is how to make sure you're experiencing some blissfulness with God. You want to have faith this week? What they mean is here's how to have some blissfulness with God on Monday when you're down in your spirits at work because things aren't going your way. Or by faith they mean how to have confidence. How to have confidence in the workplace. How to have confidence in your relationship. It's that kind of faith. You need that faith so that you can be confident in these places. And then the steps to get there are easy enough for a dog to complete them. Sit, be still, eat your food, and get some rest. Oh, and don't forget to read your Bible and pray. So maybe your dog can't actually do this. Sadly, I think that's what many of us want too. Just some experience of blissfulness. Some kind of uh, floating experience with something divine. Or just some confidence to help us get out of bed or, or to, to do what we should be doing at work. But the reality is, is this sort of faith will not last. It will not endure. And it will especially not last and not endure through the increasing pressure from the pagan culture around us. The TED Talk on faith will not last. So you've got to understand the context of Hebrews. What you have in Hebrews is a bunch of Jews who have converted to following Christ. But what's happening to those Jews is that they're now being pressured to abandon the faith by a bunch of Jews who have not converted to Christ, right? So it's their siblings, if you will, are pressuring them to abandon the faith. You see, they had left the old covenant for the new covenant, and they're being, re- being pressured, here, you got to catch this right here, to return to the customs and laws of Judaism that were good for a time. 
They're being pressured to return to their customs and laws of Judaism. Now, it was good for a time. It was God's gracious provision of a path of repentance and faith in Him. The sacrificial system, the religious customs. But what could only temporarily and partially deal with their sins has given way to the Christ who could once and for all deal with all of their sins for all of eternity. And that's what they were being pressured to leave and return back to. At this point, catch this picture. It's not just about choosing the old way versus the new way. It's about choosing to reject Christ as the way and embracing a different means of justification. That's what they're being pressured to do, to turn from Christ. But see, now that the Messiah has come, to choose to live in the old covenant is to choose to reject the salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's to turn to an adherence to self-justification. And that's what they're being pressured to do. Don't trust in Christ. What you need to trust in is all of our laws in order to be saved. Turn from that freedom in Christ back to our slavery in chains. Our context is not much different. You have a nation where Christianity has been largely embraced up until just really some decades ago, which when that happens, the purity of the church just gets filled with garbage. So practically, in our day, we have a bunch of wolves in sheepskin who are oftentimes more scripturally ignorant than a box of rocks. And the pressure from that crowd to adhere to their laws and customs is really high. It's a call to deny Christ and pick up some sort of justification apart from Jesus. You'll feel good with God if you just do our 10 steps to a good Christian life. Or you'll feel good with God if you just drink our social woke Kool-Aid. And right now, faithful Christians are getting pressure from two different crowds. First of all, the secular world that absolutely hates anything Jesus. You can be justified apart from Jesus if you just celebrate our debauchery. Two, or the second crowd is the, quote, progressive Christian crowd that loves to sprinkle Jesus on their secularism. You'll be justified if you just join in our subjective and emotional rulership. Our context is not much different. Let me read to you a quote from Keller and from his commentary on Galatians. Why do religious people pose such a great threat to God's people? Because the gospel is more threatening to religious people than non-religious people. Religious people are very touchy and nervous about their standing with God. 
Their insecurity makes them hostile to the gospel, which insists that their best deeds are useless before God. So their means of justification are useless before God. He quotes John Stott, The persecution of the true church is not always by the world who are strangers, but by our half-brothers, religious people, the nominal church. The greatest enemies of evangelical faith today are unbelievers, but are not unbelievers, but the supposed church. And he says this interesting phrase, Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. There's pressure. That's what's happening in Hebrews. It's Ishmael is persecuting Isaac. It is the supposed religious people who are persecuting the true followers of Christ. You see, the purpose of Hebrews is this. Don't fall back from faith in Christ in the midst of trials. Don't fall back from faith in Christ. That's why he's writing. He's writing so that these believers would not fall back from faith. That's why you have so many examples of this. Don't don't stop holding fast. Don't lose faith. Stop wobbling at the knees and stand up straight, he'll say later. You see, the danger is that our faith would be shaken and lost by the earthquakes happening all around us and even inside us. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This might shake you a little bit. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age, of, age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. That passage is talking about apostasy, about falling away from the faith. It's a warning against that. Now, we'll address that passage more thoroughly probably next year once we get to Hebrews 6. But the warning stands right now, and I'm not going to alleviate the tension that you might have. The danger is that those who claim to follow Christ, who have tasted all of these good things, would fall away in order to follow their own means of justification. Let me give you a caveat, thinking about falling away. For most people, even in this church, this is not going to look like, for most of us, an outright rejection of Jesus. It's going to look like syncretism. It's going to look like trying to hold Jesus as your justification in one hand and hold your perfectionism as justification in the other hand. Or hold your whatever other laws you create to follow in the other hand. Or having power and influence in the other hand. Whatever it is, for most of us, that's at the very least where it's going to begin. But remember, it's Jesus plus nothing. Or it's Jesus not at all. So the caveat, don't, be, don't, don't, if you're going to be on guard for 
a flaky faith or for a faith that can be lost, don't just think of the deconstructionists. The one who, uh, who grew up in the homeschool family, you know, like Joshua Harris, and then is abandoning the faith and embracing all sorts of paganism. Don't, don't think that. You need to think, like, when you get up in the morning, I want to follow Christ. I believe He is my justification. Now let me live faithfully for Him. And then at lunch, you're trying to earn that same justification that you just professed from having from Jesus. Now you're trying to earn it at your work. Or earn it in your mind as you wrestle through your emotions. You could hold in one hand that Jesus is the way to heaven and then try to hold in the other hand. Maybe if I just get to the next level in my job or if maybe my emotions would would be there or maybe my mind, then I would just feel justified. But again, to have anything in the other hand instead of both hands full of the superiority and sufficiency of Christ is to deny the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ. It makes, let me repeat that again. To have anything in the other hand is to deny the sufficiency and the superiority of Christ. He should fill both hands. That's the danger for us. It will likely not be an outright rejection of everything Christian. It's at the very least where it begins. Thinking you can hold Jesus in one hand and hold sinfulness, idolatry in the other hand. Eventually, the sinfulness will win out. It's like a garden. Has anybody kept a garden before? Raise your hand. Try to. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. What happens if you don't pluck the weeds? They just naturally go away? If you don't pluck the weeds then don't stand there wondering what happened when all the good plants have been choked out. What happened to my garden? They grow naturally. So when you have sinfulness and idolatry in one hand, don't be surprised when Christ gets choked out in the other. Don't stand there wondering, what happened to my family? What happened to the goodness in my family? What happened to my kids? You let the weeds come in and choke out the goodness. What's the anecdote? The dangers that we would fall away, what's the anecdote? Is a full assurance of faith. A full assurance of faith. Again, this is a big theme through Hebrews. I'm just, just touching on it here. Hebrews 10.22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. But then he goes on with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A full assurance of faith. And what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You've heard me quote Al Mohler on this before, but belief is something you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. Yeah, faith in the right thing, this full assurance of faith, will be something that holds you, not something that you make happen yourself. Listen, wherever your faith is movable, it's movable because part of your foundation is your foundation isn't 
in the right conviction or isn't in any conviction at all. You don't have full assurance of faith. Where is your faith movable? That's the place to explore. Where is my belief wrong? What am I holding on to that's wrong? How do we move towards this full assurance of faith? Faith is a gift of God that He grants the measure of faith we have. Romans 12. However, He does that through ordinary means of grace. That's why you're going to hear so much through the book of Hebrews where He talks about holding fast, where He talks about moving on from milk. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So he says, let us hold fast. What's he saying? He's saying, believe it and don't waver in it. He says, hold fast. What do you think that means? What do you think hold fast to the confession of your hope means? Does he mean make sure you get your five-minute John Piper devotional in? Do you think he means make sure you show up at church, you know, at least once a week? Or make sure you pray before you eat? What do you think he means by hold fast? He means stop suckling on your mother's milk and grow up. He means pay attention to what you have heard and take ownership for it. Stop blaming others, stop blaming your job, and certainly stop blaming your church. Pay attention to what you have heard. Take ownership. You're going to hear him say later on. He tells us in chapter 12 of sins to look out for that will keep us from holding fast. He tells us to root out bitterness, to do away with sexual immorality. Again, the middle of chapter 12. Why? Because these sins will rob you of the ability to hold fast. They dilute, they dilute your thinking. They, they cloud your judgment and your reasoning. They entrap you in the emotionalism and the subjectiveness and the allurement of justification in a different place. He says to grow on to maturity, to leave behind the baby stuff. Well, I got the gospel. Isn't that all I need? Not according to Paul. All right, well... Probably Apollos, whoever wrote Hebrews. You're going to hear me say that probably a hundred times. Luther thinks it was Apollos. I think that sounds probably, probably, maybe. But Move on to maturity. Leave behind elementary school. If you think I'm being mean or too brash, Hebrews 5, 12, the second part of 12 through 13 says this, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Let me repeat that again. If you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. The author is telling us to move on to theological and cultural maximalism. He's telling us to embrace solid foods. He goes on in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Why does our faith get so movable? Because we don't have solid food, uh, or we don't eat, we're not eating solid food, we're not mature, and so we don't have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what happens then is our faith starts chasing after all these other things. Well, if I can just get my child to obey, I'll feel justified today. Well, if I just do this, then I feel good about myself today. Solid food is for the mature, and those people can distinguish good from evil. They will have a faith that is immovable. We talked about this a few weeks ago on theological and cultural maximalism. We need to get our theology out to the edges of the estate. We need our theology influencing the very edges of the land. That will build up the robustness of your faith. That will lead to a faith that is unshakable, that is immovable. So so you don't, yes, there's the gospel at the center. But the earthquakes usually happen out in the fields. And then they slowly, the fault lines slowly make their way up to the house. So secure the edges of the land. Got to push your theological understanding and your application of theology all the way to the furthest edges of your life. I think so many of us grew up in in legalistic churches where you're truly trying to earn your justification through all these practices and rules and customs. The, the unfortunate reality is that for many of us, we've just rejected anything that seems like a rule or a standard. Rules or standards are not bad, only if they are used as your justification. Then they are bad. But they are good, and they are safe. There is freedom there when they are used as an outworking of your salvation by grace through faith in the justifying work of Jesus Christ alone. So don't throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Now, what's the object of our faith? A Lord that is superior. A Lord that's superior. Hebrews 1, verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Speaking of Jesus here. Hebrews 7.27, he, meaning Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he, Jesus, did this once for all when he offered up himself. And then to the passage at hand today, Hebrews 1.1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. But he goes on to say that now he has spoken through his son. More on that in a bit. But here for the moment, God has spoken. God has spoken. Don't read over those words and just pass on to the next thing. God has spoken. Do you understand that that means that we can know something for sure because God has spoken? It also means that we can know him and know his creation with truth. Because he has spoken. That he has revealed himself to us. 
He can truly be known, and that His creation can truly be known, which means you and I can truly be known. Meaning you can actually understand what's going on in your head. That there is objective truth. Like, if there is stuff that we need here, like in the shaky world around us, there is truth that is unshakable. That there are absolutes. There is truth that you don't have to worry about shifting between now and launch. We also see in this first couple verses of Hebrews is that it's the final revelation is in God's Son. Again, he's contrasting the old covenant with the new. And he's not telling us that the old is trash. He's simply saying that the new is superior. That it's better. Why? Listen, the old covenant was incomplete. It does not show us the full character of God. Just part of it. In the new covenant, found in Christ, he shows us all of who God is. See, Jesus is truth. He himself is truth. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The relativism of our day, the subjectivism of our day, they cannot accept that there is truth at all. The shifting of cultural norms cannot happen if there is a claim to objective truth. Listen, the tyranny of someone else's emotions cannot happen to you if there is a claim to objective truth. The administration of your kid's school cannot normalize the authority of emotions and lived experience and whatever else if you stand on objective truth. Your spouse cannot hogtie you to their emotions if you stand on objective truth. Your kids cannot make you their whipping boy if you stand on objective truth. Your emotions cannot send you on a roller coaster if you stand on objective truth. Objective truth totally guts the power of the evil powers of our day. It would have done that in the garden if Adam would have stood on objective truth. God said, don't eat of that tree. Holding fast to God's objective truth will sure up the assurance of your faith. And who is is objective truth himself? None other than Jesus the Christ. We'll learn this in Hebrews, but the entire Bible is about Jesus. Go read a passage like Hebrews 2.12, just the next chapter over, where he's citing Psalm 22, verse 22, and ascribes it to Jesus speaking. See, not only is Christ truth, but Christ is superior to anything you might turn to for justification. He is superior to anything you would consider turning to to feel justified for your sins. 
You say, well, I don't, I don't believe anything else can justify me for my sin. Well, what will you do tomorrow to make yourself feel right? What will you try to do tomorrow to make, to make you feel a sense of salvation, like that I'm good with God? What will you do? That is your other means of justification. And when you turn to that, you are believing that it is superior than the superior Christ. Maybe you turn to your perfectionism to feel justified. If I just slay this day. Maybe you turn to your avoidance of stress. If I can just make the stars align, I'll feel justified. Maybe you turn to your rules. If I just stay away from alcohol, then I'll feel justified. Or maybe you turn to virtue signaling or via caring for the poor. If I can just help this poor person, then I can feel justified. Or maybe it's the approval of another person. If I can just get them to like me, then I'll feel justified. All of these are your rules, and they can't save you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been rescued from that sack of crap. These are all just fallacies that you and I hold on to, and they shift and change every day, and they, they, they fall through our hands like sand. But they're just fallacies, beliefs that, are, that the world around us is trying to get us to go back to. G.K. Chesterton said this, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies simply because they become fashions. Don't go back there. Tomorrow, when your mind, listen, it's really, really practical here, right? Your mind or your emotions, like they're about to jump back onto that train of slavery, say no! Say no, and put your mind on something that's heavenly. Put your, no, I'm not going to go there. What is true, good, beautiful, what I see in Christ, that's where I'm going to put my mind at. Say no. You might have to do that a thousand times tomorrow. But do it, and just like exercising, you'll find that your muscles get stronger as they go. Don't go back there. Jesus is superior to it all. His sacrifice doesn't have to be repeated every single day like your sacrifice to whatever God you have erected has to be sacrificed to every single day. And his sacrifice covers it all. But we have many gods that we sacrifice to because this God can only handle this part of making me feel good and, and this God can only handle this part of making me feel justified over here. And so we have to have many gods. Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all and it covers it all. He earned your justification before God once and for all. He is superior to it all. Don't go back. Or if you live there now and you've never tasted the superiorness of Christ, then repent and turn to Him. Now, don't wait. You and I don't have to keep crucifying our saviors over and over and over again. Jesus is sure, steady, sufficient, and effective. Let me say that again. Jesus is sure, steady, sufficient, and effective. I'll give you a couple points of finer application here. If God has spoken, then when it's all about your words, there's no room for God's words. Let me say that again. If God has spoken, if you make life all about your words, 
then there will be no room for God's words. What do I mean by that? Here's our problem. We oftentimes keep telling ourselves that we know the way to justification or that we know what's best, that we have it figured out. We keep telling ourselves, if I just get that next high, high from that sporting event or from my child liking me, high from sex or etc., then I'll feel good about life. I'll feel right before my God. If it's all about your words and you keep listening to those words, you might need to shut up. Or you might need to stop filling in the bandwidth. We all only have so much room to listen. We have so much energy to listen. And if we're filling that up with listening to all sorts of other things, that could even be good things. Instead of hearing the words that God has spoken. Then we'll have no room for His words. What are you filling your mind with? It's that simple question. Are you filling it with the things of God? If you do, you will swerve towards God. If you fill it with the things of the world, good or bad, but if they don't lead you to God, you will swerve that direction. But if God has spoken, it is a great gift for us by the power of His Spirit to listen and to heed Next, a kingdom that's unshakable. A kingdom that's unshakable. Hebrews 1 2. Whom he, this is God the Father, appointed the heir, speaking of Jesus, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the heir of all things. Meaning, it means a couple things, right? We learned this about birthright and so on and so forth in the past couple weeks. It means that he, it's all been given to him. He's the heir. It is his. He owns it. But it also means that he is ruler over it all. He's the Lord over it all. And this kingdom that he is the ruler over is immovable. It's immovable. It's unshakable. It's built on a foundation that goes well below the frost line. A foundation that isn't touchable by earthquakes. Hebrews 12, 25 through 28. See, you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And that time, uh, sorry, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, quote, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is shaking away all the things that are shakable. 
and replacing it with all the things that are unshakable. The things that are flaky, the things that can be shaken are being removed and replaced with things that are unshakable. Listen, that practically should be happening in your life every day. You should be seeing the things that are shakable removed from your foundation and replaced with truths that are unshakable. Then you will parent in ways that are unshakable. You will love your spouse in ways that are unshakable. You will work for your employer in ways that are unshakable. Listen, don't you want to exchange your flaky emotions for something that is unshakable? I do. Don't you want to exchange your shaky beliefs for something that's unshakable? Don't you want to exchange the idols that keep letting you down for something unshakable? Don't you want to exchange the fleeting hope that keeps slipping through your fingers for something that's unshakable? Listen, the world, even those who call themselves Christians, want us to stake our lives on their kingdom. Why? Ultimately, so that they can control us and drain us. Progressive Christians, same thing, want us to stake our lives on emotionalism or life experience so that we can be controlled and useless to God's kingdom. It's just justification by works, except they get to determine the works. But this kingdom, God's kingdom, is immovable. Why? Because it's Christ's. Because it's His It's not defined by our terms. It's Christ's. Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You and I don't have to find our salvation in our utility. We don't have to find our justification in the feelings of other people or our salvation in how well we perform. We don't have to go back to a covenant of rules and regulations, we have a new covenant. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Earlier on in chapter 12, though, he says this, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, looking to Jesus. He's saying, toss it. What's... what's some of you hang on to that like you're pack rats. Like you, you hang on to those, those things that entangle you. Like, like it's going out of fashion. It's already out of fashion, at least in God's kingdom. Toss it out. Don't take it to goodwill. Put it in the trash. He's going to tell us in Hebrews... Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. He'll tell us in 12.3 that Jesus experienced hostility. That there were those that opposed Jesus because of his faith. Don't grow weary in doing good, he will tell us. Don't grow weary in exercising that faith. The kingdom of righteousness will win. It already has won. But we'll see it win. He says, stay steady. He'll tell us later in chapter 12 and verse 7 that God disciplines us out of love. Don't grow weary in this discipline. Listen, this is, this is a, a, a practical application here in this idea of discipline. 
This is where we learn that even though we can't lose our salvation, but if we don't walk in obedience because of that salvation, we will lose our freedom in Christ. The experience of freedom, the joy of freedom, will put back on the yoke of slavery. You see, true freedom comes out of salvation and is experienced, though, through obedience. Let me say that again. True freedom comes as a result of salvation, but it is only experienced through obedience and adherence to God's laws. And God disciplines us to keep our freedom alive. What a good God. Don't grow weary. He does it because he loves you. Be firm, but be teachable. The fact that the Lord disciplines us implies that we must remain able to be disciplined. We need to remain teachable. A little bit later in chapter 12, he'll say, basically, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Why are we so afraid to say, straighten up, press on, stop wobbling at the knees? what he tells us here. Straighten up. Stop wobbling at the knees. Don't grow weary. A life built on objective truth in Christ is a life with hope. And a life with hope is a life built for endurance. Let's talk about immovable or movable. Let me end with this illustration from John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, beginning about the middle there, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Or is Pilate standing before Jesus? Which is it? The story shows us what it looks like in a world that doesn't believe truth. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? (laughs) Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So here's the picture. Pilate is standing right in front of Jesus, acting like he is the judge, about to cast judgment on Jesus. And Jesus says, I was born to bear witness to the truth and... Those people who are actually concerned with the truth will listen to Jesus' voice. And Pilate denies the reality of truth. 
Pilate standing before truth himself, and he denies there is truth. You see, it wasn't Jesus that was on trial in this moment. Pilate wasn't the judge. Pilate was the one on trial. And Jesus, who is truth, was the judge. And Pilate fails. That's what's happening in our world today. It's been what's happening since the garden. The ground is so shaky because in the face of Jesus, the world has said, we have our own covenant of laws and regulations and we can be justified ourselves apart from Him. And what's the implication? They judge Jesus as insufficient not realizing that it is, it is the world that is being judged by the truth. But this is not just true of the world around it. This is true of us, too. Whenever you hear the word of truth, you and I are being judged. If you reject the truth, then you set your direction toward a dark place of wavering hopelessness. Spiritual blindness now and eternal darkness that comes in God's final judgment. And each time you stand in judgment over God's truth, whether consciously or subconsciously, it gets easier and easier and easier to reject it. Every time. That's why he says, take care lest you grow a hardened heart. However, If you're humble, and you humble yourself to hear the truth, the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the unshakable kingdom of God becomes yours. It's yours. If you let it stand as judge and submit to it and hold fast to it, your faith becomes immovable. And with immovable faith comes the endurance to participate in and enjoy His unshakable kingdom. Let's pray. Father, Father, give us, give us the faith that we need to walk with immovability. Father, for the things that we believe in that will justify us, give us the grace of repentance. That we would confess them as sins to you. And that our, as we turn in repentance, that we would ask for the faith to believe the right things. To hold on to the right convictions. So that as the world around us and inside us is, is shaking at its core, that our souls would see and know and realize the removal of things that are shakable. Being replaced with a kingdom that is unshakable. 
And that we would turn from these other things that we believe to be superior and more sufficient than Jesus the Christ. And that we could walk longer than the time lapse between breakfast and lunch with a faith that's immovable. And Father, ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.